0: It sure seems sometimes that if it's not one thing, it's another. That can cause a lot of anxiety in some people, and if you're one of those people and you'd like some help squashing that anxiety, head over to QuietBegins.com and check out the powerful audio program that I created to help you do just that. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and it's meant for information on educational purposes only. Of course, always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, if you've been listening a while, you probably know that this is a very message and email driven show. I get a lot of messages from people. They write to me and they ask me questions and I do my best to answer those questions. And uh, some of their challenges are really hard, <laughs> They're really hard to deal with. Um, and my heart goes out to every one of you that is dealing with any type of struggle or challenge We all experience suffering and pain of some sort, and in different levels of intensity and different frequency. Some of us deal with it daily, some of us hourly, and then some of us have to deal with it during the holidays, (laughs) like dysfunction and toxic family and stuff like that. But there's always something that happens in life that needs some sort of um, solution or resolution. And, uh, you know, that's why this show continues. I've been doing this almost eight years now, and I'm going to continue doing it as long as I can and as long as I can come up with some steps to help you out of these challenges. As long as I'm continuing to help you, then this show will continue to go. Otherwise, what's the point? You have a show like this, and if it doesn't help anyone, then no one's going to listen. And at this point, this is when the new listeners go, When does the content start? (laughs) So if you're a new listener, thank you for joining me. I do have a large library of episodes to listen to starting in 2013 until now over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I also have another podcast called Love and Abuse. It is for people that have relationships with other people who they find toxic or difficult to relate to. I call it the show about poisonous behavior and toxic communication. Or is it Poisonous Communication and Toxic Behavior? It's one of those, but they're both valid and they both apply. That show is especially useful for people that are in relationships where they can't figure out what's going wrong or why it's so hard or why they leave every interaction feeling bad. That's over at loveandabuse.com. So now that I get that out of the way, I don't do that every episode, but I wanted to kind of mention that in case you're tuning in for the first time. And, Sometimes it's a good reminder for anyone that listens to remind you that I have that other stuff going on as well. But, like I said, this is basically an email-driven show. Sometimes I come up with topics on my own. Sometimes I talk about things that I know will be relevant to a lot of people out there. But um, let me get to today's first message, which is something akin to, I would say, codependency. And I, I say this about this person who wrote not because I think there's anything wrong with them or they're toxic in any way or they're dysfunctional, even though I see codependency as a dysfunction, Um, but dysfunction, it it can be seen as a a nasty word and I don't want it to be. I'm dysfunctional. (laughs) I think a lot of us are dysfunctional in many ways. It's just that there are certain areas of our life that we are less functional than we are functional. I'm pretty good at confronting people and honoring my boundaries, but there are areas of that that I probably still need more work in. So I would call those areas less than functional or dysfunctional. Dysfunctional does typically take on the role of something more major instead of minor things, but dysfunction in the case that I'm talking about today with codependency is uh, someone who likes to either rescue, fix, or people please. That's the typical dysfunction that I usually see come across in my emails is the rescuer, the fixer, and the people pleaser. All three of these are extremely useful and helpful and dysfunctional. I say that because I used to be, uh, let's see, I was the people pleaser, uh, I was the rescuer, and I was the fixer. I was all three. So I'm being transparent with you. I was all three of these for most of my life and I had to grow out of those, heal out of those conditions uh, or dysfunctions in order to find compassion for myself enough so that I would start saying no to people. And when you start saying no to people, you're basically saying yes to yourself. When you say yes to yourself, you start accessing more self-compassion, more self-care, more self-love, so that you will have the energy to be somebody's rescuer or fixer or even a people pleaser. You need to create that energy so you have it in abundance so that when somebody does need your help and you want to offer it, it doesn't become an emotional drain on you. It actually energizes you instead. This is how I see some dysfunctions is that you can have dysfunctions in your life that when you utilize them they energize you instead of drain you you know it's a complete dysfunction when it drains you if you're doing something that continually drains you I'm not going to say it's always a dysfunction but it probably has something to do with a dysfunction I don't mean climbing a mountain and your muscles get sore and weak and you're all drained that's not what I mean at all I'm talking about mainly the rescuer, the fixer, the people helper, or any of the typical behaviors that we might do when they are associated with some sort of survival or coping mechanism. Because we learn these dysfunctions when we're younger and then we bring them into the adult world and we start applying them to adult relationships. And then when your adult relationships don't work out as planned, you might have to take a look at the behaviors that you're doing, the survival and coping mechanisms that you learned as a kid, to find out if those actually work anymore. For example, I used to be the ultimate people pleaser and I would also be a balancer. I I wanted things to stay in balance. I wanted to keep the peace. I learned this very good skill from my mom, but it's also a very big dysfunction if it drains you and causes other people to walk all over you. Meaning, one of my dysfunctions was avoiding confrontation, you know, conflict avoidance. So I didn't want to confront anyone by telling them they're doing something that I don't like or something that is offensive or hurtful or insulting to me. So I just swallowed my anger about it. This is what a lot of people pleasers will do or a lot of codependent people. They'll swallow the negative emotion that is behind what they think and feel. And because they swallow it, they add to that emotional pool inside them that negativity builds up in this emotional pool and um, I just talked about this in a newsletter recently the emotional pool as you add more and more negativity to that eventually leads to depression because the thoughts that you suppress and the emotions that you repress will cause your mind and body to depress when you have that formula you create depression inside of you and if it's not depression It's the biggest energy drain in your life because you're doing things and saying things and thinking you're doing all the right things. But because these are coping mechanisms that no longer function for you, they may have functioned in childhood, but they no longer function now, they will drain you. And the example I just gave about me trying to people-please and balance things so that nobody gets angry, you know, I was always the peacekeeper. Uh, That came from growing up in an alcoholic household where my mom did everything she possibly could to avoid evoking her husband's raging behavior. So when he was drunk he would become very aggressive and violent and because she didn't want to see that behavior and she wanted to protect her family from that behavior she did everything she could to keep the peace. And so as a child That's what I learned. That's how you keep the peace. You do everything you can to keep the peace, even if it means compromising your own happiness, compromising your own wants and needs. You don't have any boundaries. You just let people walk all over you as long as it keeps the peace. That turns into a dysfunction when you're older. It's a survival mechanism when you're younger because, quite literally, you probably survived because of that behavior meaning you didn't want to evoke someone else's bad behavior so you were on your best behavior and that best behavior is how you survived and children don't know until they see a role model doing what they think they're supposed to be doing or the children learn some other behavior that uh, ends up not working for them later in life but working during the time that they're children so when you were a child you had Probably behaviors that some of them you do today and some of them you don't. And it's always a good thing to ask yourself whenever you're in a situation that feels very negative to ask yourself, am I reacting or behaving like a child? And that sounds a little condescending and I don't mean it to be that way. What I'm asking is, are you acting from a place of childlike or childhood fear? Um, if it's not fear is it um, something else but if you are getting results that you don't like today perhaps there is a childlike mechanism activating inside of you that is causing you to do behaviors that aren't really working out for you today and there are a lot of good examples of this and one of them that I can think of you wouldn't even think is a childhood mechanism but Uh, something that could be a childhood mechanism is somebody does something that might not be scary to one person but is very scary to another for example um, somebody in authority screams at you how dare you you son of a I mean they just get angry and um, they scream at you some people would look at this person and just wait for them to stop screaming they would see that person as throwing a temper tantrum seeing the child in them express out of some sort of old fear or old dysfunction and they're just losing it. And it, you know, It could be legitimate anger too. I'm not going to discount that people can get legitimately angry and vent legitimately. That is certainly possible but for the sake of this example, there are people that will see someone screaming, someone in authority and think okay, he's having a temper tantrum. I'll just wait till this is over and then they'll say, are you done yet? <laughs> they'll say something like that and maybe the screamer will go, yes, yes, I'm done, I was just angry. Then there are people that will be around someone in authority that screams at them, or screams in general, and it scares the crap out of them. It just scares them, and they have an emotional reaction because of it. And the emotional reaction might be a lot of fear that builds up, and that could lead to crying or cowering in the corner or just freezing like the fight, flight, or freeze. You, You just don't know what to do. And then when they stop screaming and they say, you're excused, you leave, and then you're nervous for the rest of the day or the week or you just can't get it out of your mind. There's some, maybe some old emotional stuff going on there. And the person screaming activates your PTSD and you don't know what to do about it. So this is the dichotomy that I'm talking about. You can have someone that has no problem with someone screaming and the other person That doesn't like it at all and gets afraid and cries or has a nervous breakdown even because they can't handle it it's just too much they can't handle somebody doing that so the reason I laid out those two scenarios is because you can ask yourself when you're in that situation if you had a negative response to that person venting or screaming or whatever can you relate it to a response you had when you were a child you know I used to be afraid of people raising their voice or especially when they're drunk when they raise their voice and they're drunk my childlike response would be to run and hide and just stay away so that is in there but as an adult I'm not necessarily gonna run and hide but what I am going to do is what I learned to do from my mom in childhood which is become the people pleaser and the neutralizer and the balancer and try to keep the peace and this could actually keep the peace because I've done this before as a child and sometimes these dysfunctions are very helpful resourceful tools that you can use today and that's what I was referring to earlier is that your dysfunctions can be very useful and can be very powerful And can work for you and when they work they can usually get you through a bad situation Um, and they can do a lot of other things too. The trick is to discern when you use some sort of dysfunction or some sort of behavior that you learned in childhood is it a dysfunction today or is it a resource is it something useful some of the behaviors they're using today might actually be dysfunctions and not helpful and will cause them more harm than good. And I think this is where the discernment comes in, is when you ask yourself, am I responding from a childlike state of fear or, you know, some other negative state, but the same way I acted when I was a child, or have I developed better coping mechanisms, and better strategies as an adult, so that I can handle myself and situations and other people better? That's a good, even though long-winded, question to ask yourself when you're in the midst of certain challenges. Am I responding from a childlike state of fear, or am I utilizing new strategies and new coping mechanisms so that I can deal with this effectively and resourcefully so that it doesn't linger? And again, that's the discernment. You have to determine if negativity is going to linger by using certain behaviors or by responding or reacting in a certain way. This is such an important thing to do, in my opinion, is that when you are facing a challenge, what you're about to do next, will it linger inside of you? as a negative feeling or something that you stuff down and push into that negative emotional pool inside of you that stores all your emotions all the negativity goes down there and how much are you filling that pool daily weekly monthly yearly so that it eventually turns into depression because you're just overwhelmed with so much negativity and that's why it's important to discern between responding from a childlike state of fear and old survival and coping mechanisms that used to work back then and making sure that you aren't still responding from that old childlike state of fear and using new resources and new behaviors that you learned over the years that don't allow negativity to continue to linger inside of you. And maybe we can use the example that I just used about someone in authority screaming at you or around you. When you check in with yourself, are you feeling fear? Are you feeling sadness? Are you feeling negativity at all? I mean, besides a feeling of thinking that they're just being ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, if they are being ridiculous, yeah, you can have this negative feeling like, I'm just embarrassed to be around this person. But I'm not talking about that type of negativity. I'm talking about the type that comes up when you have any type of fear that you maybe haven't gotten over. You know, something you've been carrying around a long time, like anyone that screams around you, uh, you feel this uh, fear. That is the kind of fear that lingers over and over again because of the response you might give in a situation like that. You know That could mean when they're screaming, you choose not to see that as a threat. And I know it's easy for me to say don't choose to see it as a threat, and it might be hard to do, but let me just talk you through, through this example. Let's just say that you thought to yourself, okay, he or she is screaming. It's not a threat. I'll just wait till they're done. Let's just say you could do that if you were having trouble dealing with somebody screaming before. Okay, I'll just wait till they're done. And then they finish. And then you just go on to the next thing. Okay, or you know, did you get out of your system? Are you good? And they go, yes, yes, I'm, I'm good. And then by doing that, you don't hold on to any of the fears because you just made a choice not to be afraid in that moment again it's easier to say than do but I'm just using this as an example but what I'm saying is that you have a different response in that moment which changes future moments so the next person that yells you will have built a new resource that tells you ah, when I wait for them to stop yelling instead of being afraid that they're gonna hurt me or anything and when they're done yelling and they don't hurt me I have a new resource. I have a new strategy. I don't have to go into that safe place in my mind and wait for it to all be over and then decompress for the next four days because I went through this trauma. That might get you to a new place. It might it might give you a new strategy for next time so that when it happens or if it happens again, you will not have carried forward some old negativity that you used to have inside of you, some old maybe emotional baggage because you chose to respond differently this time. And I know it's not necessarily a choice. A lot of the times it's an unconscious program or old response that you've been carrying with you for a long time. So uh, it may not be as easy as saying, I'm going to choose not to be fearful this time. But I give you that story as an example of something that might happen if you choose a different response. Because your old response might have been, I'm so sorry. If there's anything I can do, I'll do it. I'm so sorry that you're so angry. That might have been an old response of yours. And if that was an old response, every time you do that, it reinforces your fear. It reinforces what you're carrying with you and carrying forward. And when you continue doing the same behavior over and over again, then you're very likely going to continue feeling the way you do and carrying any dysfunctions that you might have had inside of you forward. So it may not even be choosing or not choosing to be fearful. It just might be choosing not to have the response that you normally have. Normally you might say, I'm so sorry. What can I do for you? I'm so sorry that you're angry. I'm so sorry this. I'm so sorry that that might have been your previous response. But what if the next time you decide when they yell, I'm just going to sit back, be quiet, and wait for them to be done. And when they're done, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, all right, do you feel better now that you got it out of your system? I'm not saying that you should do this. There are some people that yell and scream and will become aggressive and violent. Don't do it with these people. If you're around these people, you might have to rely on your old dysfunctions and people-pleasing and fixing and rescuing because you don't want to get hurt. You know, I totally understand that. This this is where dysfunction comes in, is when you're around toxic people and they're doing things that might be harmful to you or really are harmful to you. And harmful people have to be handled differently. And I hope you don't have to be around harmful people and that you do your best to stay away from harmful people or at least take care of yourself in a way that keeps you out of harm's way that's what you should do is keep yourself out of harm's way and sometimes dysfunctions are necessary to keep you out of harm's way this is why i never say get rid of your dysfunctions i like to say utilize them when needed but don't rely on them for every situation because every situation is different every challenge is different every person is different and If you had, like me, I had an alcoholic step-parent that was very violent when they were drunk. I generalized that into anyone that drinks is going to be scary and violent. I did that for a while until I realized that's not true. I collected evidence that it wasn't true. I tried different responses to people. I made sure I was around different people that got drunk and they were all different. Everyone was different. Most people were just laughing, some people were just stupid. And some people just fell asleep, but none of them ever acted like my stepfather did when I was young. I'm not saying that they could never do that because I've been around people that were inebriated and they were more dangerous than other people. But the point is we have to be careful what we generalize and be careful to think that the people that we dealt with when we were younger are going to be around when we're older, unless they are. I mean, those might still be the same people in your life, but everyone else may not warrant the the responses or reactions that we have and we have to be careful if we are accessing old dysfunctions when we respond or react to those people so that we don't drain ourselves. And I know that I've thrown everything at you in this first 20 or 30 minutes. I realize I went in a few different directions, but I want to really come back and wrap this up and talk about the message that I received and how it could be A dysfunctional response that this person's having that keeps her situation going and most of us know this as enablement. When we respond from a dysfunctional place to a dysfunctional person or a toxic person we often do something called enable. We enable their behavior by continuing to respond or react from a dysfunctional place. And I share all of this with you in hopes that one tiny little aspect or seed is drilled into your brain and starts to blossom in order for you to start questioning your own responses and reactions to people that will either exacerbate the situation, extend the situation, or stop it in its tracks. And there are probably other options there too, but those are the three main ones. You're either going to make the situation worse Or you're gonna make it better, or you're gonna stop it. The scary part is it usually will feel worse at first, and sometimes it will be worse at first, but then it gets better because then it can and will stop. That's the goal. (laughs) The goal is to stop other people's dysfunctional behavior from affecting our lives. And when we can't stop their behavior from affecting our lives because of the way we respond or react, then we have to work on something in ourselves either to change our response or reaction or stay away from the people that continue to have a negative impact on us. So let me just again wrap this up. If you're going to take away anything from this segment, I hope it's the question am I acting out of a childlike state of fear right now or am I utilizing new resources, have I created new strategies so that when this type of thing happens to me again I'll have a different way to respond, which may actually stop any lingering negativity and maybe even help prevent me from stuffing down or swallowing negative emotions. That would be ideal. We'll see where we go with this in this next segment. Be right back. I get a lot of requests for coaching, for one-on-one, and it's just something I haven't done in a while. I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, I was doing it for many, many years, and um, I had to stop doing it. I just ran out of time. So I've been having to say no to people. I, I, I just don't do it anymore. And when I started saying no, conveniently, BetterHelp started sponsoring the show. If you've not heard of BetterHelp, they are a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so that you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You can do it any way you want. I mean, life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful, at least in some areas. You know, my girlfriend and I were at lunch with a few friends the other day, and she said, Oh, Paul never gets stressed, and I almost bit my lip. (laughs) I can't say that I never get stressed. I know, yes, she sees me as this calm, balanced, patient guy, but I get stressed just like anyone else. I've just developed better coping mechanisms and better ways to deal with it fast, so I do have an advantage there. But, you know, it took me a long time. It took me a lot of years, decades of healing and learning and growing through all my stuff facing my past facing my fears and just experimenting like heck (laughs) so you can do that or you can get help you can get professional help you can get this service BetterHelp it's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can save so much time I spent a lot of years working on this stuff and when you join BetterHelp you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You might be surprised what you gain from it. See if it's for you. Like I said, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And as a listener of the Overwhelmed Brain, you'll get 10% off your first month if you go to BetterHelp.com forward slash brain. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. If you've got those lingering negative emotions, it might be time to address them. BetterHelp.com forward brain. Welcome back. Like I said, sometimes I get messages that are just hard. <laughs> They're hard. And then sometimes I can see exactly what's happening. And sometimes it involves someone that might be responding or reacting to a situation that if they change that response it could change the situation now I'm gonna give you this little caveat before I read this email Uh, I haven't fully thought it out so sometimes I like to do this just to read it live and see if an answer pops up in my mind immediately because sometimes we think too long about something and then we change the right answer into the wrong answer (laughs) we change what we're thinking about into something else that may not be as effective So, that's why I do this sometimes. So, I'm just going to go ahead and read this and we'll see where we go with it. Hi, Paul. I've been listening to both your podcasts. I'm the wife and mother of teenagers who are all on the receiving end of my husband, their father's frequent, intense, and long rages. He is not receiving mental health treatment. I filed for divorce a few years ago but stopped proceedings after he admitted to an affair and he said he would change. Fast forward to today, some things have changed, but not the core of the problem. There is still no achievement of a feeling of calm, peace, safety, trust, and intimacy. I'm ready to create a legal document with the ultimatum stating, I love you as a person, but I can no longer handle the emotional rages that are negatively impacting all of us. I need you to commit to a treatment plan to learn how to cope with your emotions that have created and continues to create a high level of dysfunction in our family. What do you think? (laughs) She's asking me, what do you think, Paul? Thank you. Okay, well, thank you so much for writing this and reading this. I, I breezed through it a few days ago, and I didn't really think about it, but now I'm here to think about it. I'm here to give you my reply. First of all, I want you to know that you are in control here. He may be the person that rages, and that's a coincidence because I just talked about someone in the last segment who might scream so if he is the father and your husband and he goes into these long rages this could be the situation that you're dealing with so listen to the first segment see if that helps at all if it doesn't then I will do my best to help right now but the first thing is you have to know that you are in control here you have already caught him doing something that he said he apologized for and now he said he would change and a few years goes by and the core of the problem, like you said, hasn't changed. And you are not feeling calm, peace, safety, trust, and intimacy. I don't know if creating a legal document, I don't know if you were serious about that, but I don't know if creating a legal document is going to do anything because what is the accountability? And I don't even know if you're serious or not because I've never never heard somebody doing this creating a legal document in their own marriage or whatever to prevent someone from behaving a certain way. I don't think that would help at all quite honestly because what is the accountability? I I mean, There are people that have been divorced and shared custody and the person that is supposed to bring them back by a certain time never does. Now they have to enforce their custody agreement and sometimes that's difficult because they bring their kids back like a half an hour later every time and it's not bad enough to apply the accountability, but it's bad enough to show that the other person keeps pushing the boundaries. So even when you're divorced, the legal agreements are very difficult to enforce unless it is a, like, um, I think it's a protective order where you're not allowed to be within so many feet of someone. That kind of legal document or order Is usually enforceable and there's a lot of accountability for that because the person will end up in jail but what's the accountability here there's probably not any accountability because even if there was is it going to be enough of a loss for him to make the change because it sounds like this person maybe changed some of his behaviors but not all of them and it's possible that he does need the mental help that you say he's not getting, and therefore, a legal document is not mental help. It is not going to do the same thing as a mental health professional would. So the legal document might be something that uh, throws a little scare his way, but something like that, I'm going to guess, and I would probably bet on this, is not going to stick at all especially if it's not enforceable. Now, if you said, I can do this and there's jail time, (laughs) then it might be enforceable. I don't know. But still, the emotional triggers are still there. There's something going on inside of him that he needs to deal with and needs to fix. And, you know, this comes down to people with addictions and other mental health issues that if they don't feel inspired or motivated to get the help they need themselves, then anyone else trying to push them in that direction usually doesn't go well it usually doesn't happen and if it does happen it usually doesn't stick so the person that needs a mental health professional usually has to come to that place on their own where they say I need help and I'm going to get it but they usually don't reach that level until the loss is great enough for your husband the loss has to be great enough and I talked about enablement before and I thought that you might be a little bit codependent but then after I read this maybe it's not codependent so again not trying to put you down for that I just thought that maybe you were highly tolerant of bad behavior and maybe you are I, I really don't know but from what you shared here you're ready to say look enough's enough and that is a very empowered place you're in a very empowered place again you have control this is why i'm seeing that this could be a positive thing for you because you can just say hey look if you don't stop i'm out of here this is it this is your last chance but if you're serious about creating a legal document with an ultimatum i just think that's an extra step that probably won't do much it won't stick and then you'll be right back where you were. And in fact, this is what typically happens. Let's just say that you created some legal document or you just had a conversation. Hey, look, if you don't work on yourself or you don't work on this rage, I'm out of here. But then he rages again and you don't leave. Now we're talking about enablement. Now we're talking about you complementing a dysfunction with a dysfunction. And that's what I mean by enabling, is that when you do something that allows a dysfunction to continue even if your goal is to stop that dysfunction. And I'm talking about his dysfunction. So his toxic behavior, his raging or whatever else he's doing in the family clearly needs to stop or the family will fall apart. You will leave or the family will fall apart in another way. But if his behavior doesn't stop, that's what will happen. That is your, I believe, your ultimatum. If that's your ultimatum, then having it on paper could help. You could say, hey, look, I want you to sign this paper. (laughs) I want you to commit to this. I'm all for that. And, you know, maybe that's what you're talking about. But I don't know of any legal documents that would work in that case. You could talk to a lawyer. Um, But I do know that when you deal with somebody that refuses or doesn't want to get help for a condition they clearly need help for, that you are fighting an uphill battle that most people end up losing meaning you say okay sign here and you're gonna promise to change and he already promised to change he already said that before I'll change and here you are saying okay if you don't change this time then this is gonna happen here's my ultimatum and you didn't tell me what your ultimatum was but let's just say that I'm out of here this is my ultimatum I'm out of here if you don't change since he's already said he would change and there's been no accountability for that if you go through with this ultimatum and he doesn't change again, or he's okay for a few weeks or months, and then he goes back to the way he was, and then you don't apply the accountability, what's going to happen is that the behavior will continue. And that's all I mean by enabling. When you don't apply accountability, you instead enable. Not in all cases, but in this case, this is what I would see. So. That's what I think. I think that it's important to understand that some people, when they say they'll change, I mean, I talk about this over at Love and Abuse all the time, there are people that have been hurtful to the ones they love, and then they say, I promise I'll never do it again. I promise I'll change. Please, please, please don't leave. And then the person hears the sympathy in their voice, and they feel like, oh, maybe he means it or she means it this time. Maybe I'll stay and just see what happens and then they do it over and over and over again because the person doing the hurtful behavior sees how the victim of that behavior getting more and more comfortable and so the hurtful person realizes okay now they're comfortable again now i can be myself again and who am i i'm the one that's hurting you and that's an overgeneralization. That doesn't mean everyone. I'm just saying this can happen. Is that the person who needs professional help or counseling or something, if they don't get it and all they do is say, I promise I'll change. I promise I'll never do that again. Then what you end up with is the same person that when they make the promise and the person that ends up doing the same thing again because they never changed who they are, like you said, at, their, at his core. He never changed at his core. That's still who he is or how he's behaving. It's coming from way inside of him. So that needs to be addressed. And if that's not addressed and all you're hearing are his words, then you're going to end up with the same thing. So the ultimatum has to have a, a level of accountability that you apply. And if you don't apply it, you enable the same behavior over and over again. And I'm not blaming you for it. I'm not saying it's your fault. You're enabling. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is what happens if you both don't commit. He has to commit to changing and getting better. And you have to commit to the ultimatum. That's the toughest part for a lot of people because they love the people they're with. You know, There's a lot to love about certain people. And when they have these dysfunctions, they introduce them into our world. We have to deal with the dysfunctions. And if we can't and it ruins our lives and it makes us unhappy and is challenging to us, then we have to weigh what's more important. Is it more important to be with someone even when they're raging half the time? Or is it more important for my sanity to get out of this situation, clear my head, and not be around someone who does that? I've known people that have been in great relationships that maybe five or 10% of it was awful. And that awfulness, that five or 10% of awfulness was on their mind 100% of the time. So yes, you can have a 90% great relationship where 10% of it is awful, but 100% of the time, you can't stop thinking about the awfulness. And some people can't do it. I know I wouldn't be able to do it. If all I could think about was the 10% of the time that my girlfriend is awful and I can't get it out of my mind, then I need to do something about it. I either need to address it with her, saying, hey, look, 10% of the time you're awful, and that needs to stop because I can't be with somebody who's so awful. Then if she didn't stop, then I would have to make a different choice. So I started off saying that you are in control, and all I mean by that is you're holding the reins of where this relationship goes, and it sounds like he doesn't want the relationship to end, and because of that, you should be able to go up to him and say hey look if you don't change this will not last and every time he does behavior that um, takes away your feeling of calm peace safety trust and intimacy you bring it up hey what you just did makes me feel less secure around you makes me trust you less what you just did just now and if he is willing to say you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I got to work on that. You're right. And thank you for calling that out. If you said something like that, great. Now you have somebody you can work with. You have somebody that is willing to be called out and be vulnerable and work through it with you. But if he's not responding that way, and he's just still being negative and being hard to be around, then you might have to take some more drastic measures. So you asked me what I thought. That's what I think. I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I do hope that um, your situation improves in some way. And just remember, you don't deserve bad behavior. When you're trying to make things work and the other person isn't, then you don't deserve that bad behavior. And sometimes people need to be told that. I don't deserve to be treated like this. Stop treating me like this. That's it. That's enough. You know, I started talking about fixers and rescuers and people pleasers. All three of those are the person I used to be. And if that's you at all, if that represents you at all, You have to remember the number one rule when it comes to dealing with a dysfunction like that inside yourself. The rule is self-love and self-compassion comes first because you have to take care of yourself. If you're going to people, please, please yourself first. If you're going to fix anything, fix yourself first. If you're going to rescue anyone, rescue yourself first. That way you have the extra energy, the abundance of energy that might be needed for other people. I don't necessarily think that this person who wrote falls into that category, but it does seem like there might be a high level of resilience and toleration that might be a dysfunction that's keeping her there, or maybe circumstances are keeping her there, or maybe she just wanted to say, hey, I tried everything I possibly could, and there's nothing else I can do. And I appreciate that. I respect that. When you try everything you possibly can, and you're exhausted, and there's nothing else you can do, then you have every right to make the next right decision for you because you've tried everything and in order to get your energy back self-love self-compassion and self-care are required so this episode went a little different direction than I thought it would I really thought I was going to be talking about codependence and things like that because I thought the email was about that but turned out to be a little bit different but again there could be some codependency in there when your dysfunction complements somebody else's dysfunction and you are enabling their bad behavior or their dysfunctional behavior it can continue your misery that's why i thought that this person might have been somewhat codependent because the misery continues and if i were to make an assumption about her situation i would say maybe she's been too nice maybe you've just been too nice maybe you've tried and you think that he deserves a second and third and fourth chance but. Sometimes you have to get to that point where you are nice to yourself and take care of yourself so that somebody else isn't hurting you anymore or putting you in a situation that makes you miserable. I hope this helps. I hope you're able to get into a better situation very soon or at least arrange something in your current situation that finally makes him realize he needs help. And someone who wants to keep the relationship and stay with somebody is going to do everything in their power to salvage the relationship and that might mean he finally caves in and sees a professional this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back that causes him to finally seek help i wish you the best thank you so much for writing and thanks for listening to another episode of the overwhelmed brain when we come back i'm going to say my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words which will probably be another quick message right after this Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash brain. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. And I want to thank all the financial donors of this show, anyone that has joined the patron program or has given a one-time or many-time donation. You are all on my list. I am so grateful for you, and I read different names every week just to thank you publicly, like... Fuang and Andrea and Adriana, Julia, Anna, Monica, Larita, Lila, Walter, Christy, Veronica, Lucy, Holly, I have to go really fast, <laughs> Vanessa, Linda, Deborah, Chelsea, Allison, oh, Allison's new, I like to stop on anyone that joined and say thank you so much, Allison, I am grateful for your support, Maud, Brian, Ron, Zomaya, Anna, Kim, Donald, Donald, you're back, I remember you, Donald, good to see you again, thank you so much for your support, everyone on that list and everyone else that I haven't named that I'll probably name another week. So grateful for your support. Thank you again. If you value this show and you'd like to give back, visit moretob.com and you can choose to give a single donation or monthly. And if you're a monthly contributor in the patron program, I give back. I have about a hundred private episodes in there. I have worksheets and a video archive. Check it out over at moretob.com. I also mentioned love and abuse. If you're dealing with some sort of emotionally abusive relationship or manipulation or control, or you find that it's just very difficult to interact with the person in your life, head over to loveandabuse.com. That's my other podcast. I think that'll be very helpful. And if you find yourself as the difficult person, if you are realizing, hey, I need to work on myself because I am a difficult person, I'm toxic, I'm hurting someone I love, then I've created a program called healedbeing.com. The first few lessons are free, so check that out. You don't have to give a credit card or anything like that. Just go to healedbeing.com and put in your email address and your first name, and you're good to go, and you'll get some powerful lessons right away. I hope that's helpful. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. All right, and like I said, I want to read you one final message. It's another situation that is quite toxic and uh, probably very hard to deal with. Hey, Paul, I wanted to check with you to see if you had any particular episodes that focus on feeling used or red flags from a roommate that is a friend. I'm not sure I feel this way, but I just wanted to see if you had anything out there that may be specific to this. My friend has toxic patterns and repeated behaviors of getting kicked out, and we don't want to kick her out, but I know eventually she will need a deadline, boundaries. We wanted to help her out, but it's causing some friction in my marriage. She's a high-functioning alcoholic, and I've addressed some of these issues a couple times. I'm concerned because some things have happened, and I don't want this to be around the children, yet my husband and I don't want to just kick her out. She's a friend, and she doesn't have a job. She also suffers from anxiety and depression, so I feel as if I've hurt her feelings with some truths about alcohol and finances. She said it might take her about three months to get established, but um, my husband and I are not going to do the three months, so I told her that directly. We initially agreed to two weeks, but then it has grown beyond that. We're worried about her because she's starting to drink a little bit more and get a little bit comfortable. My husband has been feeling the red flags and he's concerned about tearing apart our marriage. We're worried about finances and my husband can't provide for her and her son forever or even for months as that's not what we agreed to. I feel like in some ways I didn't know her in full since she has never lived with me before. I was always on the outside helping emotionally and only a couple times financially. But, you know, we didn't live together, so I didn't recognize that she had all these patterns that she's had with others before. She said she's been homeless and kicked out so many times, and now it makes me wonder why. She doesn't keep friends or forgive easy either, and she just lets friends go as a defense mechanism. Okay, I want to thank you for writing this. And, yeah, that's a difficult situation. When you let somebody live with you, and it was supposed to be two weeks, then it turns into months that's a challenge. I mean, I've done this in the past with a friend and uh, it was easy because our friend was understanding, but I could tell it was getting a little uncomfortable for us because we didn't have our privacy and there was always somebody else in the house and good person didn't cause any trouble, but it's just another person in the house. And so when you have another person in the house, unless they are a productive person and they're cleaning all the time and they're uh, going shopping and they're bringing home income, it's a different story. And from what it sounds like you're dealing with is that, yeah, it probably does feel like you're being used. And a couple of things that you said, let me address. Um, when you mention the alcohol or the finances, I have a feeling she's probably heard all that before and she might even categorize you as one of those people. Like, you know, no one loves me. No one cares about me. No one understands me and they always say the same thing it's always about my money or my drinking and so when you have somebody like that a friend of yours or especially in this case a roommate and you're trying to make them understand they've probably heard it before not that what you said was bad or wrong but what you said may create a resistance in their mind and it may make them not want to be around you or not like you Again, I'm not saying what you said is wrong. It's just that when you mention things that people have a problem with and they know they have a problem with them, then all they're hearing is a lack of support. That's tough for me to say because I know you support her. You're supporting her. She, she's in your home. But what they hear and what they turn it into can be interpreted as a lack of support. Oh, you don't you don't know me. You don't care about me. You don't understand me. You don't understand what I'm dealing with, the challenges. So it kind of can make them resistant. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily a problem that you said those things, but I just think it's sometimes a waste of time. And I'm not saying an intervention is not a good idea. Maybe it is, but I don't know enough about that to tell you that's a good idea. But I do know that when you address problems that people know they have and they've been working on for years and years and years, it's usually pointless to say, hey, you have this problem because they know it and they've dealt with it and now you're one of the other people that are always saying that they have a problem so I would probably avoid all conversations about alcohol, finances or anything like that unless it's very specific to what's happening for example um, if she steals alcohol from your bar you know, or from your pantry or wherever you keep it and you notice it's gone yes, it's about alcohol but it's really about stealing So now you can say, hey, look, there's a bottle of vodka missing, and we know you took it, so that's wrong. What do you have to say for yourself? You know, something like that. But you don't say, hey, because you were drunk, you stole that bottle of vodka. There's a difference here. You don't mention the reason they stole it. You just mention the behavior or what you really have a problem with. I mean, you might have a problem that she's drunk, like you said. You don't want the children to be around her behavior when she's drunk. So that might be an issue that you have to bring up. Hey, what you did the other day was dangerous to the kids and I can't have you doing that again. I'm still not saying it's about the alcohol, but you know, you might have to say you were drunk and it was a problem and the kids were in danger. You can't do that ever again. And if you do, you're out of here. That might be your ultimatum. Talking about ultimatums, that might be what you have to do. But for the most part, I look at resultant behaviors and not what created those behaviors when it comes to someone you're trying to, I don't want to say guide, but you are. You're trying to guide this person to do the right thing. So her alcoholism might be creating all this behavior, but it's more important to cite the specific behaviors that if you can leave the word alcohol out of it, she actually might hear it. So I hope that makes sense about what I'm talking about with the alcohol. Like if um, if she truly is an alcoholic and all you do is say, hey, your alcohol is causing this and your alcohol is causing that, she might already feel helpless to that and she might already feel like she can't do anything about that. So it might be, again, pointless to say anything about it. But if you said, when you did this the other day, it was a bad thing and we can't have you do that, without mentioning alcohol, it might come across. It might be her hearing it because you're not saying the word alcohol. I hope that makes sense because I'm trying to get through a point that when somebody is dealing with a challenge and all you do is mention that challenge to them, it might make the rest of your comments moot, meaning she probably won't listen or hear it because, oh, you just think I'm an alcoholic. That's where she might go. So this is one part of my reply to you is when you talk to her don't mention the alcohol don't mention finances unless it is a specific thing about what you're talking about for example the finances if she's late paying rent or whatever she pays you can say hey you didn't pay rent we need we need the money you gotta pay rent but if you said hey I know you have trouble with finances and here we are rent time and there's no rent now you've introduced the general problem of finances that you've already mentioned that she knows she's dealing with And that might make her shut down in some ways or be angry with you or whatever. And I'm not trying to say that you should appease her and all that. I'm just saying when there's something specific that she did wrong or that she's doing, you just mention that specific thing, but you don't tell her why she's doing it and what she can do differently. You just say, rent was yesterday. We need rent. Can you please pay us today? there's just a direct question can you please play us today but you don't get into we know you're terrible with finances and you've had problems before you don't want to mention any of that stuff so if you are I think that would be wise to stop mentioning all the other stuff stop mentioning the bigger level problems that she might be dealing with and only mention the specifics that you need to resolve for you so that's one part of this the second part of this is yes if your family is starting to feel the stress and the pressure and you're feeling like you're getting ripped apart your priority is your family your prior priority is number one and at the same time you put yourself in a precarious position because now you have somebody that's depressed and anxious and alcoholic and she sets you up to feel guilty if you kick her up because she said she always gets kicked out she may have done that on purpose actually she might have said she always gets kicked out to make you feel bad for her but i i don't know just an assumption but here you are with somebody that has these conditions and now what do you do so this is my approach if this were me if i were you if i were in your position what i would do is make one of you the rule maker and the person that talks to her so there's the one person that might be the friend maybe you're the friend you're always the friend but maybe your husband is going to be the rule maker you know it sounds like he's the one who brings home more money and he has to take care of the bills and all that So maybe he's the one that needs to do what I'm about to say, which is work with her when it comes to creating a deadline that you're talking about. So you could be, this could be like a good cop, bad cop thing, but I think you can be two good cops here. One of you is the friend, doesn't mention the money or the finances or the alcohol, you're just a friend. The other person, let's just say your husband, goes to her and says, all right, you know, you've been here for a few weeks, so I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, and let's make a date on when we can get you a place you know what can we do to help you find a place what can we do to help you find a job because you know make up a date we want to do this by either september 30th or october 1st somewhere around there but let's make a date together what do you think would be a good date to plan on here because once we know the date then we know how much time we have to work with to help you get established. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to help you get established. We want to make sure that you're in a good place. We want this to work for you. Let's figure this out together. So what I'm doing here is I'm telling your husband, or if you're the person that does this, not to get angry, not to, you know, demand that she does anything wrong. Just be her friend. This is the friend that is going to help her get things done. That doesn't mean you do all the work for her and pay her bills or anything like that, but you work on the deadline together so that everyone's clear. And just like I started saying, hey, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page so going forward we can work on this thing and check in you know, every other day to make sure we're going in the right direction. So what I'm doing is, in this example, setting your husband up to be a good guy, a supportive guy, That helps her get on her feet not that it's necessarily his job but because she's in your home now and you're trying to approach this with compassion and support for someone you care about and you don't want to push them over the edge that's what it sounds like you're telling me then I believe you approach it in a way that you say let's work together on this let's figure this out because somebody who's not using you Is going to say that's a great idea thank you so much for your help let's do this yes I want to get on my feet too and then you can come up with a date together and then she'll be involved in that decision and that's part of this is involving her in these decisions which commits her to being responsible for these decisions because she's involved so it isn't just him or you going up to her saying this is the day you need to get out which is a lot of pressure on someone with all these challenges But you're going up to her saying, hey, let's talk about this. Let's get on the same page so that we can all figure this out together because we want you to succeed. We want you to be in a good place. Now, if she starts saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to be ready by then and I'm not going to have the money by then. And if she starts making all these excuses instead of saying, I need to do everything I can to stop being a burden on you guys. I mean, if you don't hear any type of that kind of energy, then yes, no wonder she keeps getting kicked out and you are probably being used. And you might have to say, hey, we want to help you, but you got to help us too. Because I want you to succeed. And I know you don't want us to think that you're taking advantage of us. You're not that type of person. You might even have to set her up like that, saying, you're not that type of person. I know you. This isn't you. So I wouldn't go in that direction immediately, but certainly in the direction of, hey, let's get on the same page, let's figure this out together, let's set this date, and let's move forward and toward that date, so when it comes, we're all set, you know, we can start doing everything we can to get you to that next place. But again, that doesn't mean you do all the work, but I do recommend check-ins. Check-in every other day, how's it going, what can I help you with? You're working together. It's like nudging an employee to do better by being there to help them succeed. You want to try to set her up to succeed, not fail. And this is tough because she should do this on her own, but if she does have all these challenges, when you took her on, you took on all her challenges as well. She brought those challenges into your household, which is a lesson for everyone. (laughs) When somebody is in a very challenging situation, when they come into your household, you're bringing all those challenges into your household. And that doesn't always go well. I'm not saying you shouldn't help people. I'm just saying it doesn't always go well. And sometimes people do need help, and they can get back on their feet because of your help. And sometimes it's, it's difficult. Sometimes there are issues. And I'm just going to say this. Usually when somebody is an alcoholic, and I mean sort of an out-of-control alcoholic, not a high-functioning alcoholic, And sometimes when there's alcohol involved, it makes the situation harder because the addict may not be able to control their consumption of alcohol, which can create uh, an issue in the household. I won't say that about every alcoholic because there are definitely people that control their drinking, but they're probably not alcoholics. The people that really can't control their drinking or can't control the, the amount they drink might be more difficult to deal with. So I'm trying to say that as nicely as I can because there are people that drink that aren't problems and don't have that kind of issue. So anyway, I hope this has been helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It is a difficult situation and the bottom line is if she is not making an effort to leave, then you do have to kind of keep that fire lit under her to keep her motivated to go in that direction. And if she doesn't do anything in that direction, if she's not showing any signs of wanting to leave then just be direct. We gave you a chance, and we don't see you doing anything to help. Again, don't bring up the alcohol. Don't bring up her general problems with finances or anything. Just bring up what she did specifically to affect you. You haven't paid any rent. You haven't brought any food home. You haven't um, cleaned like you said you would. You haven't uh, looked for a job like you said you would. So it's not working out. But don't say because you're an alcoholic or because you have finances or you need help with alcohol, I wouldn't go there at all. So there's my opinion, only an opinion. (laughs) I hope it helps. I know that's a tough situation. But yes, be very aware of the people you're bringing into your home and what challenges they will bring with them. And if you're prepared for the challenges or at least you're ready to help them move along when it's time you just got to have that inside you so that if you get into that situation again, you can do what you need to do to protect yourself and your family. Thanks so much for writing. And thanks for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Make sure that you always keep an open mind. This is what helps you step into your power. And when you're empowered, you can be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure, and above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.